0: Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update on a Friday morning Rosh Chodesh here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM.
1: Oh, it's good to be back with you again. I appreciate we'll it. it uh, in the winter and look forward to a very healthy year.
0: Bezrat Hashem. Healthy for everybody. Happy, healthy, and sweet New Year. We still say, and of course, a happy... And wonderful rosh chodesh. Who can believe that already a month of the brand new year has passed by? Unbelievable how time flies. Uh, Well, many of us are looking with great interest over the last couple of weeks, uh, and really over the last year, uh, with the rhetoric in Washington D.C. George W. Bush might be the president that uh, you know the best uh, of all the uh, presidents of the United States. Were you surprised that it seemed to use the public forum? Uh, to try to direct comments to the president and others in Washington this week?
1: Uh, well, I've known a lot of presidents, and uh, indeed him, and he. It, it was a little bit surprising because he's playing, playing a very low key role, but, uh, you know, there is no love lost, I think, between the Trumps and the Bushes, and especially if his brother ran, and I guess they resent the way he was treated. But uh, I think this is just. Uh, the, you know him being true to himself, and he gives expression to it. People today it doesn't seem to be um, party lines and party affiliation is dictating what people say. You see Republican senators being very critical, uh, Democratic senators certainly being critical. So it's a it's a time of uh, when people express themselves very openly, and and partisanship seems to be
0: diminished. Yeah, you know, the campaign had a certain tone. And I think many of us thought, I think you and I discussed it, I think many of us thought that once the once we were past January 20th of this year, uh, things would calm down a bit. And uh, different people, parties in Washington, I don't mean political parties, I mean different individuals in Washington would act in a in a, in a a more presidential manner, in a more respectful <laughs> manner, depending if they're president or not. Um, and, and that never really materialized, right? Wouldn't you say that, that all of that never really came to fruition and we're essentially in the same atmosphere that we were a year ago?
1: Well, it, it, the, 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 a lot of the, I guess a lot of that is true, but the, I, I wouldn't say we're exactly where we were a year ago. There it, it is a lingering um, tone, and I think it's true on all sides. I think that the gloves are off in, in every regard, including the media's coverage and the uh, this whole the expression of fake news but but we certainly see distortions and, and see partisanship being expressed in news coverage not just in up eds and how uh, this divide that has been drawn and i think everybody has contributed to it and contributes to it uh, the um, you know certainly this campaign brought forward more uh, extreme views and those continue we saw the you know the demonstration and the spencer in florida other you know, who represent the poor and points of view, um, and that there, there is a, a climate in the country, then it's time to start to reassert the, the, the unity when we see Congress, you know, virtually paralyzed, and, and a, a switch of a vote or two means whether anything can get passed. Uh, hopefully, we will we'll see some efforts at, at greater bipartisanship and cooperation and within parties and between the parties so that we move forward. We we are facing so many serious challenges right now, yeah. and you know the, the the unity is really the the key. And the only ones we see getting unified are Hamas and Fatah. We see yeah. you know the the Iranians and the Turks and the Qatar. We see the wrong people be, uh, coming under the banner of of uh, unity and and joint efforts. Even though I think that they're they're not going to last, and it's it's a temporary maneuver. in in all of the cases Uh, but here we need it seriously and we need it with also with the europeans and with others and i don't think the blame rests on on any individual or or
0: yeah that i I totally agree with i mean on the other side of the world we're so focused and we care so much about what's going on in israel i don't know if you had any opportunity to be there over the last few weeks but is there any insight you can give us as these protests and demonstrations continue and a terrible atmosphere. I use that word again. You know, continues to develop over there over these issues. Uh, do you have any insight? Uh, do, do, do you see? Do you see any end to this? Any good uh, end to this? Any unified effort between parties in Israel to to bring these types of activities to a stop?
1: Well, I was in Israel for the Hagim and. What I saw there was the exact opposite of what we're seeing now. We saw Birkat Kohanim. You saw that uh, I was not there for Slichot, but I've seen the movies of it. The the Friday night, the, the crowds were massive, and people of every stripe, every kind, coming together um, at the hotel and the Kotel Plaza and in and, and all over Yerushalayim, in fact. And there was spirit of of unity, and which is the theme also of Sukkot and, and the. Um, Battery, very little, no tensions. You didn't see incidents. And then all of a sudden, right after the hanging, to have this kind of, of these manifestations, uh, I think that the, the schools these kids attend ought to be holding them to account. You see some of the movies of the behavior of, of guys in, is disgraceful. And, uh, you know, if there are legitimate issues, there are legitimate ways to give expression to, to differences of view or, or concerns certainly what's happening now blocking roads I know people who missed their flights because of the of it uh, people who who couldn't get to work this is uh, this is not acceptable
0: to say the least uh, not acceptable by the way you mentioned um, uh, some of the uh, some of the things going on in Israel both on the positive side as well explain if you, if you can I, I don't know why I can't get a handle on it this amphitheater that was discovered. Uh, in the old city. Where exactly is this, and from what era do they believe it's from?
1: Oh, I-, I was actually there with my family. We were uh, privileged to have been taken into the area of the dig before it's not been open to the public yet. And it is an amazing manifest uh, place I just want to say there was one other manifestation and that was a parade in Jerusalem of 60,000 people including Christians right. from 90 or 100 countries.
0: They, called, they actually called the Jerusalem March,
1: right? And the Jerusalem March and it's now in its Fiftieth year, I think. Wow! And but but it has grown so immensely. The whole city comes to a standstill, and you see endless numbers of people, and you see 150 from Paraguay, a couple hundred from Japan, from other countries, from all over the world. Uh, Guatemala marching under their with their flags, and often in their uh, native costumes, and uh, to see and and of course Jews from, of all stripes joining them. Uh, that was another manifestation that but beyond the Jewish community. Anyway, this is a discovery. When you face the Kotel, as you approach it, and you know the the you, the arches on the side where you can go into Davin? Right. Underneath that. That's where it is. And it is, so they had to put in a, a, a floor because people, Davin, it's, it's adjacent to the plaza, huh. but beneath it, in an area that has not been exposed for 1,700 years. Wow. And they found that the hotel going down eight meters, it's massive. And it has not been exposed or, or uncovered because this area was filled in in the Roman era. And they built adjacent to the, to the wall a small amphitheater for like two or 300 seats. It may have been a city council chamber. It may have been uh, for entertainment. But this, for the first time, exposes what life was like in the Roman era, they have found things going back to the second base of Mekdash, and they believe that with further excavation, they will find first base of Mekdashira uh, uh, and buildings and, and uh, artifacts. And the the it's an extension. They were looking for the extension of the uh, water tunnel, which you can see. But also they found the flat stones, which show that this was part of the road that goes all the way back down towards uh, Meishiloa. Unbelievable. And to see something that for almost 2,000 years, Jews have not seen, no one has seen, because they fill it in with all sorts of, you know, and and then build on top. That's, in the Middle East, people didn't destroy, they just built layer on layer, which right. is to our benefit, because today we can uncover those layers, and and get a picture of life, and and as I have said many times, every single thing just validates, Tanakh validates the historical connection of Jews to, to Jerusalem, and all of the Things that we we have been taught, and and it comes to life completely there,
0: because there are people who claim there is no historical connection between that area and the Jewish people,
1: and and who refute uh, much of this. Uh, you know, the, Josephus is the is the is the testament that they all use to, to describe what happened there, uh, or what it was like in the Roman era. Now we will have uh, a much more first hand uh, picture. And also what, 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 what you because I mean, the Romans destroyed Yushalayim, and they built Alina Capitolina there in its place, trying to eradicate the Jewish connection, and something that we see at UNESCO these days, the same thing that they did then. They changed the name to Palestina uh, from Judea because they wanted to try to erase the Jewish connection. And now, 2,000 years later, they lost, and we're winning. Unbelievable. Malcolm Holmline with us, weekly
0: update. All right. Obviously, you've had an opportunity to speak to some of the Israeli officials. I know not all of them are you know, completely active in terms of their work schedule during the Chag and during this period of time. But nonetheless, a couple of questions I need to ask. Um, Israel's been criticized, or some of the Israel's leadership has been criticized for weighing in on right-wing party influence on certain elections in Europe, Austria being the most recent. Is Israel and its public officials actually voicing opinions regarding what's happening in other countries' elections at this point?
1: Well, people are expressing concerns, Louise, do others, uh, American officials also, about the emergence in Austria, Germany, and other France uh, of uh, extreme right-wing parties. Uh, this is, obviously, it's very critical to Israel, let's say, the relationship with Germany, uh, when uh, Mrs. Uh, Merkel... Uh, had the lowest number that I think she has in, in all of her races. She and uh, has to form coalitions in order to avoid being with the extreme right. She had to form coalitions uh, with other parties. And the, uh, you know, the emergence of this and and what past history teaches us is that you have to take notice when extremist parties emerge, it's a reflection of things that are going on in society. And whether it's some of it is anti-immigrant, some of it uh, is uh, motivated by economic uh, concerns, but Uh, 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 there is a strong um, theme of anti-Semitism amongst some of them. Uh, Some of the parties, some of them, of course, profess that they're pro-Israel or that they're pro-Jewish, but the fact is that there are, in all these parties, uh, strong anti-Semitic elements, and frankly, we see it here in our own country, too. Right, and none of it
0: surprises you based on what's happened over the last couple of years in, in, you know, um, somewhat in the United States, but certainly other European countries as well.
1: Right, and that's why the divisiveness and the partisanship that we discussed earlier yeah. gets exploited by parties like that.
0: Oh, it's so true, it's so true <laughs> uh you mentioned earlier uh about this arrangement, this agreement this uh treaty between the p a and Hamas. What could you tell us about this new arrangement? are they in fact uh are they in fact now peaceful political allies?
1: Uh, I would not count on it, and if anybody's thinking of investing in this agreement don't <laughs> I think that the you know the United States and Israel have both put forward the requirements that they expect from from uh, this deal, none of which will be met. The first and foremost was recognition of Israel. Hamas has said clearly that they won't do it um, turning over the weapons uh Hamas. disarming uh, Hamas. They've said they won't do it. Uh, I don't know if Hamas has the capacity to do it. They want to bring them both under the power of the, or, or, or ostensibly under the umbrella of the Palestinian authorities, so that they can negotiate. Egypt played a key role in pulling this together. One, it, it asserts their leadership, but two, you know, they would like to see quiet in Gaza, uh, especially because of the relationship with ISIS and their activities. Inside Sinai, there's a and- the love lost with with Hamas and, and Egypt,
0: and Egypt felt this association, this treaty would bring peace to that area.
1: Well, not peace; it said a sort of calm, quiet, and, right. and, and give them greater control over the role that uh, Hamas plays. Because Hamas has been working with uh, ISIS. Like I reported on this many times yeah. here yeah. about uh, you know, like taking hospitals, weapons flow, other things, and um, uh, Egypt, you know, closes the border. Well, another factor that I think helped is that Israel's barrier, which will be completed by 2019, but is already becoming very visible in the South, uh, has created a new reality for Hamas, that they know then that the tunnels and other things are going to be uh, much more difficult, and um, and so that Israel set forward the requirements, not only about disarming, but that the MIAs have to be returned, the uh, fallen Israeli soldiers and the Israeli civilians that they're holding, and the PA has to have full security control in Gaza, uh, including at the crossings. Some of these things Hamas is willing to do now because they're broke. They're under tremendous financial pressure. You know, they get electricity three, four hours a day because the PA stops it, not Israel. And that the PA has to continue to act against uh, Hamas, terror infrastructures in Judea and Samaria. Uh, I, I don't know that, um, and, and severing ties with Iran. So those are are... Expectations that I think won't be won't be realized. But
0: does any of this is, matter to
1: Israel? Do Israeli officials care? Of what? Of course, they care a lot because y- you could be seeing a scenario that was described to me of, of how Khalid Masha will emerge as Abbas's successor out of this, and that may oh, be the point. the interest that they are are pursuing. So and a
0: Hamas, a Hamas said, leader would be the quote unquote PA leader, the entire umbrella
1: of. of because Abbas is right. 83 and keeps talking about retiring or quitting, and there's no successor on his side. And Barghouti... By the way, that, 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 be, that may be that the secret. ...has diminished in his uh, popularity. But if you look at what the United States has also asked for, they want to accept, and, and Israel also, that they have to agree to all the previous agreements and obligations, including to disarm terrorists. And you know, that's not going to happen. Right. So Hamas not given the weapons. So whatever we see now is... Is you know we've seen this act before. It is serving their purposes because they need it. Hamas needs it. The PA needs it. Right. Each for their own individual reasons. And, and it's now, not a marriage of of love.
0: And what you just said is, is it seems to be the now now it's understandable why uh, Hamas uh, uh, went ahead with it. The political power plus the financial power is all in the PA.
1: Right. And the money has has uh, a lot of it has dried up. Uh, even the Qatari money now goes through Israel through st- specific projects. So and Iran uh, still gives that money, but it's not. Yeah, I was just going to say Hamas,
0: Hamas can't exist in the Iranian financial contributions. I always thought that money was unlimited from Iran when it comes to funding terror groups around the Middle East.
1: No, it's not unlimited, um, and Hamas, you know, they, they had a very strange relationship because Hamas didn't back them in Syria and didn't back Assad uh, because of Assad's persecution of the Palestinians in Syria, so they they broke completely, then there's been a resumption of, of uh, aid. Turkey has also started to give money. Uh, so they have an alternative source, but th- their needs are very great. Remember, this is a kleptocracy. You have um, a third of the people work for the PA, for the uh, government there, and it, uh, um, much more, more than half, actually. And the PA is cut by a third the amounts of money they pay them. So you have a tremendous internal demand. For the P, for the Hamas government to do something. By the way, I'm sorry. Directed.
0: I'm yeah. sorry for interrupting, but Iran is probably unhappy with this arrangement. That their 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 power, their influence on that side of the Middle East now is a bit diminished. Wouldn't you say?
1: No, because they their goals are very limited. and What they want is the ability to have a base against Israel. Hamas, which is not diminished, that still continues to exist, and they have Islamic Jihad, they have other groups that they work through, and in fact, were their primary uh, beneficiaries. Uh, so they don't like to see Egypt getting uh, the credit and, and being strong, uh, and CC and in particular, but um, I, I would not uh, say that, that their role is in any way diminished. If anything, we're seeing Iran being more aggressive, spreading out more uh, it, it, and Turkey also, as we've talked about many times, right? You know, but if you're spending, them,
0: but if you're spending less money on Hamas, and they have other, you know, and they have other routes for you know financial assistance now, namely the PA, wouldn't that automatically mean you have a drop less influence or not?
1: Yeah, but they're not spending less, and the PA doesn't have the money really to meet the needs, I all know. the needs of of. Uh, they're counting on the fact that the United States and others, and that's why I try to give the requirements that both sides put out because right. without meeting those things they're not going to get the additional money all right
0: understood it's america's one and only jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world and the web at nachlomsegel.com on the Siegel network and of course on the beloved nsn app malcolm honlein is executive vice chairman of the conference of presidents of major american jewish organizations friday's means weekly update here at JMNAM. All right, I think we've kept everybody in suspense long enough. You know the issue that everybody tuned in to hear about this morning. That's obviously the Iran deal. Uh, Take us through the last couple of weeks and what's been happening in Washington. It seems like the president is certainly strongly leaning toward eliminating this Iran deal. Uh, I can't find anybody... Of significance. Uh both Republican and Democratic leaders seem to be against that action. Uh, advisors from Israel, including former prime ministers at this point, are telling them not to do it. The EU, I don't have to tell you, the European leadership is dead set against it. What can you tell us about the uh you know the, the, the immediate past and uh and the present regarding the Iran deal?
1: Okay, so it's obviously very complicated because uh, it, 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 the president really didn't do what everybody thinks he did. He didn't decertify the deal. He certified a, a, and commented on a particular provision in the agreement which Congress put in. He is required every 90 days to certify, and he did not do that. He did not, and Nikki Haley spoke about the fact that they're not abandoning the agreement now, but what he, he's doing is sending uh, a warning shot. And it's a very powerful one. It's an important message because the Iranians are violating both the spirit and letter of the agreement, but more, but uh, additionally also the things beyond the agreement, like the ballistic missiles uh, tests, which is a violation of a Security Council resolution, the aggressiveness against other countries in the region, the support for terrorism, uh, all of the issues. And there you have bipartisan support. We saw new. Uh, Sanctions against the Iran Revolutionary Guard being designated a terrorist entity, and some 70 entities were being sanctioned in various countries, from China to the Ukraine, who have dealings with the IRGC. Uh, It is a significant move. There there are other sanctions now in in the works, and the president, by taking the sanction, shifted the onus to Congress and said, "Okay, now you come up." with additional sanctions that will push Iran to be more in compliance. There's also provisions of the agreement that this is a second track, where even some of the European countries are looking at ways that they could strengthen uh, these provisions, including the sunset clause, meaning the end of the agreement, which is only a few years away, a blink in in historical terms. And talking about extending it, uh, Israel would like to see it without any deadline. And I heard administration officials talk about 50 or 100 years or forever uh, the the the, the there is a universal agreement that I think a bipartisan agreement about Iran's role and it, the need to to contain Iran. the need to stop Iran's uh, aggressive aggressive activities to to block them in Iraq and Syria. Their their role in the, in Lebanon. The, they are obviously a dominant force today in in Syria in Iraq. They they're talking about building a railroad now from the Mediterranean to Tehran. There's certainly this across national highway, it's part of the Shiite Crescent that they want to create, and and they extol their their dominance of those countries, uh, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, as well as Yemen, and are active in in many other places, especially in the Gulf, trying to undermine the governments. So the action that was taken by the president is is really putting them on notice, and that the uh, deal is not affected by what the president did. He has said, though, that if Iran continues and if despite everything that's done, then he would consider pulling out. The Europeans have said they will stick to it no matter what. They're making big deals. Total. Uh, others, Erebus, uh, even Boeing, making big deals with the Iranians. Uh, that It's purely economic and short-sighted because the Iranians are working to undermine them as well. Uh, European countries. The, the, um, uh, the, the, the concern that uh, people feel uh was was reflected in the um, Iranian attack on the British Parliament just during this time. Where they um, uh, hacked 9,000 emails, including Prime Minister uh, May, and we, we see that Zarif, the Foreign Minister, says that the U.S. is more afraid of Iranian compliance than non-compliance and challenging uh, the United States. We see Soleimani, the architect of much of their activities and terrorist activities, um, uh, being more active in the region uh, than ever, and I think that that you will see. Um, a greater effort to to try to keep the United States in the deal, meaning that they will try hopefully come up with some formula for improving the existing deal, adding more sanctions. And this is Congress' responsibility in the Treasury right. Department, where there's a right. remarkable woman, Mrs. Mandelker, who is who is leading the effort in that regard. It's, it's very complicated. And- that's,
0: why, that's why I felt, by the way, and I'm sure some listeners are not going to like hearing me say this. But that's why I felt that the president's um, uh, attitude toward Chuck Schumer was a little out of line because, yes, he was against the agreement to his credit, which, you know, most of us, I shouldn't say most of us, many of us were you know, happy with. We were happy he took that public stand against President Obama's decision. But now that the deal's in place, I don't know if it's illegitimate for him to say, you know, we have to strongly reconsider wanting to eliminate this thing.
1: Uh, okay. Well, I think what uh, I, there is more common ground, right, than, than the comments I- indicated. Because what Schumer is saying is we strengthen it, that we, we have to see how we make the deal more effective. Uh, and he's, but he's talking specifically about things outside of the deal, going after the ballistic missiles, which is part of their nuclear program, going after the um, uh, activities of Iran in the region, the destabilizing activities, the weapons supply, the flows, the support for all of the terrorist entities, Hamas and Hezbollah in, in particular. So the, uh, I think that the strategy that we're we 're seeing is that there 's a, a universal recognition that Iran poses uh, an increasing danger that the that they work together with the allies to stop their destabilizing eff- uh, efforts that we put additional sanctions, block their financing of terror and then go after the proliferation of missiles and weapons, and then deny them all the paths to a nuclear weapon. I think those are things in which All the sides can agree, and there is a lot of legislation uh, or various pieces of legislation that are being drafted that would both amend the Nuclear Agreement Review Act to strengthen enforcement and prevent them from developing intercontinental ballistic missiles, amongst other things. But the
0: real question is then, I don't know if you can answer this, but what's the recommendation? Is the recommendation among Jewish leadership that cares about Israel that we should be pressuring our members of Congress to you know, to work toward the elimination of the deal or is the recommendation now at this point you know more schumer-esque or whoever you want to choose you know would be considered more moderate on this issue now uh to you know work within the framework of the deal
1: well but everybody's doing that now that is working to to uh, except, the, pres- calling- except to- the president except the president no, he did not call to to destroy the deal. I
0: know but he's but he, he the way he speaks it sounds like he's moving in that well, I direction. Think it's
1: important to send a strong message to the Iranians to understand that he means business. I think the action uh, regarding the UNESCO and, and sending the message to the UN that we are serious and we're going to translate it and we're going to pull out of UNESCO, sending a message to the Iranians that we're serious and we're ready to pull out, we're going to not you know, continue to excuse everything that you do. And for too long, they have not been held to account for for what they do. But on that, I think that there is a a bipartisan agreement, and the president is putting down markers. And you know that the the only thing that will stop the Iranians and terrorists is strength. When they confront strength, they back down. And what what they have to see is that there is a resolve. They, They really believe that the West doesn't have the determination and the guts to take the steps that are necessary. And they, when they play havoc with our ships, when they contest us, when they test our allies, when they you know, engage in the activities, and they see themselves succeeding in being able to expand their influence in the way that they have, you have to take strong measures and take strong steps, whether it's uh, shooting missiles into to Syria or or standing up against uh, the Iranian regime
0: and with their allies. Understood. But it does sound like if you were asked for a prediction, it, it, it's highly doubtful that we're going to see a time in the near future of, a, of complete elimination of the
1: Iran deal. It, it's highly doubtful that they'll pull out. Right. Yes, and I don't think the president is is saying right now, and that's why I pointed to Nikki Haley, right. who's been very strong on this, but she was very clear. But we the are me, taking this step.
0: But the way the media reports it, and especially, right. they especially try to
1: make it more, look uh, as more of a divide. And especially, than that and especially, the Rubicon on this, it's not correct. That's not the case.
0: And especially the way the media reports opposition from Europe, Israel, and other places. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, speaking, by the way, about Israel and uh, former prime ministers making statements. What do you think of this story? Uh, An allegation made by former prime minister and defense minister Ehud Barak that prime minister Netanyahu was to blame for the scuttling of a free batch of 20 F-35 stealth fighter jets from the Obama administration. Uh, This was denied by former ambassador to Israel, Dan Shapiro. What do you know about the prime minister rejecting this free gift because it was coming from President Obama?
1: Israel would never reject the free gift. I don't think any prime minister of Israel would survive that because <laughs> the people would, would be very upset. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we
0: love the free stuff. <laughs> uh,
1: I, I've not heard it. And I think if Dan Shapiro, who certainly was uh, President Obama's ambassador, denies that it took place, I think that's a pretty credible source.
0: But I, Yeah, but Ehud Barak, you'd think. You know, he tells Army Radio the whole the, the deal was canceled because of a tense relationship between the prime minister and the president. That's like you know not a yeah. bad not a bad source, right?
1: Uh, well, that, we'll find out whether it's a good or bad right. source. But the but there was there were tensions, and I know that there were deals that were um, the people's reported were hampered or or somewhat. But I doubt that not Israel a, ever turned down three F f-35s uh, 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 ships uh, <laughs> getting planes like that. Uh, because of any kind of peak
0: interesting um israel revealed to the u.s. the uh the russian intelligence hacking that's been going on um that that i guess in the international scene you know gets israel some some brownie points right some credibility when it comes what they're the ones who revealed to washington what the russian intelligence had been doing right
1: Right, but they also revealed to the Russians that there was going to be a terrorist attack planned in Syria against their troops that enabled them to prevent it. So Israel's capacity for data collection, for information collection, their work in cybersecurity, in the deep, dark Internet, and other sources, their monitoring of all of the weapon shipments that, let's say, go into Lebanon, knowing where everything is, and remember, you're talking about thousands of pieces of information or yeah. sources or potential sources.
0: So they saved Russian lives, frankly. Pardon me? They saved Russian lives.
1: They saved Russian
0: lives Now th- th- maybe American lives. And, and that, le- one instance. that leads to the other thing. Again, there was a meeting between Prime Minister Netanyahu and, and Vladimir Putin, right? There was another recent meeting.
1: There was a conversation
0: this week. Between- oh, so it wasn't a meeting. It was a conversation between the two of them. Right. It, it seems like they're, they they speak a lot. It seems every time I turn around, there's been another meeting or another phone conversation.
1: Well, there's a lot, you know, people uh, don't realize that for Israel, the, the stakes become higher and higher when we see the buildup along the Lebanon border with the, with the growth, and the, they're becoming more dominant over the Lebanese army, even though they, they do remain somewhat separate. But clearly, Hezbollah is the dominant force, and the uh, fact that, that some of the ISIS fights that have escaping Raqqa and other places have moved to areas near the Golan, and then supposedly an agreement that Russia made to keep Iran Hezbollah forces away from near the Israeli border because they have all tried to encroach on that, and Iran has made that a major goal. So this kind of coordination. Also, when Israel flies, uh, as they did last week to respond to some missiles that were fired uh, from Syria, but they flew in Lebanon and from Lebanon took out the Missile battery. Uh, they have to let the Russians know there has to be clear, close coordination and communication to avoid, uh, you know, the, the, uh, some sort of uh, mishap or the, the habit of missiles fired by Iranian uh, by Russian anti aircraft, which is in Syria uh, against the Israeli plane. So, does
0: does the Prime Minister ever get any of his requests fulfilled by Putin? You'll have to ask him. I mean, is it possible that 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 Russia, is that concerned about Israel's interests that they would alter their strategy in Syria or other parts of the Middle East when the prime minister of Israel asked them to?
1: Well, also because they know that Israel, for Israel, these are life and death issues, and, and Israel will have to take the action it needs to take, and they could completely disrupt the, what they would like to see which is a consolidation of their hold their stand in in Iran in uh Syria what Israel is saying to them don't let Iran become the dominant force and it's not your interest it certainly not shouldn't be in Russia's interest certainly not United States interest not the interest of of Syria that ir- Iran and remain in that position so i think a lot of these conversations deal with that it dealt with, with the situation of the of the Kurds and um Uh, And with about the whole question of the Iranian Hezbollah forces and where they'll be allowed to stay. Uh, So those are the issues that supposedly were discussed. uh,
0: Yeah, I hear that. Finally, and you were just in Israel, no doubt spoke to public officials. Um, immediate building in Judea and Samaria or not? We keep hearing about numbers of unit, units that have been approved, but then again people say it's delayed and way down the road because of international pressure. How would you classify it? Is it going to be immediate building and expansion in Judea and Samaria or not? Well,
1: there is uh, always building, and uh, it's the, the numbers that were originally announced seem to be much, actually much lower than what was originally announced, uh, but there are permits, but, what, but the, you're talking about the first stage yeah. of the construction, of which is getting permits, as anybody here builds knows. So it could be that these houses they're talking about now won't be built for a while into the future.
0: Uh, there you have it. Thank you very much. My I'll, pleasure. Malcolm Holman is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. I have a wonderful Shabbos and a wonderful Chodesh. Mar Cheshvan,